The, uh, it's great to be back together. I know we had some, we've had several Sundays, you know, uh, in smaller groups over the last several weeks, and those have been fun and encouraging and great time together. But it really is nice to get everybody back together. Um, you know, some people are still traveling. Uh, you know, I know the meters are away this weekend. Uh, I just got back from spending the week in, in London, and so um, I woke up promptly this morning at 5 a.m. Um, which is pretty good, you know, considering it's 10 a.m. In, uh, in London. But I've uh, been able to work this whole week, two days each day, because I had my, my London day, and then I had my America's day, and then uh, I slept. So, But I'm really encouraged to be here with us now, because, you know, we, uh, we met together with our leadership group back in, in December, and you know, we talked about, you know, what we do on Sundays and midweeks and other events for the year. We talked about, let's have a focus on just having fun, enjoying family, and building faith. So for those of you that are that are writing acrostics, whatever, that's three S, you can figure it out. Family, fun, and faith. But for the beginning of the year, we, we, we talked about what can we do that would really help get our hearts really spiritually focused, you know, and... And there was a number of ideas, but I would talk about, let's do a book. Um, and so, um, you know, when it, when it made me think of, over the holidays, anybody watch any movies? Yes. Yes. So we watched several movies, um, and our, our, we decided as a family we'd watch the Barbie movie. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's a movie. I, I think there's deeper insights. I just need to go back with more of the deeper insight window on. But I came away with, uh, oh, okay, that was a good movie. Um, but I think there are things, obviously, to learn. And similarly, when it comes to things, well, what should we read in a book? You know, I have one idea. This book, though, was proposed by several people. And you go, okay, that, that should be good. And as I've read through, I went, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. So I'm very encouraged by it sitting over there and my phone, but I think you all have a gentle and lowly in spirit, right? Gender and lowly, okay? If you don't, see Jeanette, she'll help you get set up with one. But we got it for everyone. But so the idea here is to use the book over the next two or maybe three months to be a framework. Uh, it'd be helpful if you read it, and we'll probably, probably hit about two chapters a week on Sundays, more or less. But I think more importantly is to take the time to step back and reflect on it, to, to look at the scriptures that are called out, and then use it uh, to help sort of guide yourself this morning to give you some writers, whether it's Isaiah or Jeremiah or John or Paul talking about Jesus. And then they throw in a few other thinking from some of the American theologians just to sort of help you dig in and think about, you know, the heart of God. And that's really what I want to start with today is, is Chapter 1 is his very heart. To open up, though, I want you to think for a second. Have you ever been in a situation where you've misread somebody? Yeah. You know, sometimes it's when you first meet them, you know, maybe it's you're going on a date and they say something or you're going out. You know, you're, I mean, there's some people you always misread, like, like Zach when you're playing a board game. <laughs> you know, he is purposely playing you, you know, and so um, that's all good. But you know, sometimes you make decisions based on how you understand someone that in reflection you go, oh wait, that's not how they are at all. And you, you then can believe things, do things, and get off sort of on the wrong track about someone. And I know, I believe Jesus really was about that as you read the Gospels. You know, he, you know, you think about the parable of the talents. 
And so that's, you know, that's in Matthew 25. But to recall, uh, the, uh, the master goes away into one servant and gives five large chunks of money to another two and another one. And they do different things. The one with five, when the master returns, has, in, has invested it and comes back with ten. The two comes back with two more. But what's the one with one do? Hides in the ground. Well, why did, why did that person do that? Yeah. He's afraid that the master was what? Harsh. And, you know, would basically be angry at, at him or her. And so they bury it. And what's uh, the master say when they come back? The least you could have done is put it in the bank, dude. You know, where it would have got today about 0.01% interest, you know. And at least it wouldn't have been a worry about someone in one of the other parables finding it in a field, digging it up, and taking it home, right? Yeah. Misunderstanding. So that's one. I think what Jesus was saying, hey, look, it is possible to misunderstand the purpose of God. It's, it's possible to misunderstand me. How about Peter? You know, when Peter hears Jesus, you know, say that he's going to die and be resurrected, and he pulls him aside, and what does he say? This will never happen. And what's Jesus say? Famous line. We've all heard it. Get behind me, Satan, you know. Are we supposed to think Jesus is calling Peter Satan? Well, in the moment, perhaps. I think he's just saying, no, no, you, you didn't get it. You know, you didn't get the storyline here. Go back and watch the movie over again because there's something deeper in there for you to understand. Or how about when, when they saw some people, like, you know, doing some things. I, I remember the exact story, but they said, hey, hey, Jesus, how about if we call fire from heaven down on them? And what did Jesus do? I didn't say exactly what says he rebuked them. <laughs> don't do that. That's not appropriate. So I get the idea that Jesus cares about how I understand him in my heart. Because it's really going to affect how I, how I live and how I act. So look over at Matthew 11, 29, and we'll read more of that in a minute. But, you know, the, really the first one that, that Gentle and Lowly starts out looking at is, I am gentle and lowly in heart. So there's 89 chapters of gospel writings in the Bible. I didn't know that. Somebody counted them. And in all of those gospel writings, stories of Jesus, there is only one place where Jesus talks about his own heart. Matthew 11. And so we've learned a lot of stuff from the gospels, right? You know, we learned about his divine birth. You know, I'm sure we read a lot about that around Christmas, right? Uh, we learned about his ministry. We've heard a lot about what Jesus taught and did. Uh, we've learned about his disciples. What they taught and did, what he taught them, I just mentioned a couple places where they messed up. Um, we, we know about how he traveled. We know about his prayer habits. Uh, we know, he even taught us how, he, how his life as the Messiah fits in the whole Old Testament story. We know a lot of stuff from the, from the Gospels. Let's read here in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Take a minute and just reflect on what he chooses to say about himself and what he doesn't say. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. 
And you know what words do we expect God in the flesh to say about his heart? You know, we might think he would say, well, I expect you to obey me. I expect obedience. So we might have expected him to say, you know, I really, in my heart, I want you to closely follow me. We might have expected some words about strict obedience. <clears throat> or we might have expected to say, I really want you to be like me. You know, I want you to hold to this high standard. You know, he does say, I mean, we hear, I want you to be holy as I am holy. What do we think? This is a high standard. I've got to live up to that. <clears throat> you know, and when you read the word of the Bible about the heart, it's, it's not all the emotional stuff that you would hear about from an American talking about what the heart is. It really is more the center of ourselves. It's what's what driving us. You know, to use some modern writers, it's, it's, it was Jesus' why. Why he existed. What was in his heart. You know, I like Zach was talking about uh, about guarding your heart. And you know, in Proverbs, Solomon talks about that in Proverbs 4.23. He says, guard your heart, uh, your inner self, your feelings, your thinking. He says there in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. So from your heart is where everything comes from. It's where all of your emotions, your feelings, your actions, your behavior come from. And so it's helpful to know what's in the heart of Jesus, isn't it? It's helpful because then we begin to understand, well, oh, so he is is gentle in heart. He is lowly in heart. You know, he cares about us. You know, it's really, it's his innermost being was gentle and lowly. You know, but I think by default, you know, when I say default, when you wake up first thing in the morning, or you clear your mind, what's your default belief about God? You sin. You do something you didn't want to do. What's God think about that? What's your default? Where do you go to? Where do you come back to? You know, it really is, you know, that influences how we think about ourselves. It influences how we behave. Because we you know, God's God God's going to strike me dead. You know, or I need I need to do a lot better. I need to do a lot better. I better make a list. You know, and I better do something because God hates that, right? God hates that. We can have this sort of default go-to. And so I think what we'll find as we study this out over a period of a couple months or weeks is we'll just think about well, what is God's heart really? What does God really think? And we'll go spend a, a lot of time in Scripture, but I think also just in reflecting, what's that default for Peter? And how do I transform my heart to really be what's the default for Jesus? Because that's really what he wants us to be. And I, I can tell you for me personally, you know, having been a disciple more than 40 years, it's still a journey. I still have a default that's old, <clears throat> written on old beliefs, old tapes, old influences, um, things that I've experienced. And think about how that impacts us. So it's generally translated humble. I'm not sure what gentle does that. So it's three other times translated this way else in the New Testament. So four times it's translated meek. So that's one way of thinking about it, gentle. It's meek. And then in 21, he talks about, he's prophesying. He says, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
which is a is a is a retelling of Zechariah 9:9. It's a it's a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus that he's going to be gentle, that he's going to be meek. And then interestingly, in 1 Peter 3:4, you may have heard this about how a woman should adorn herself. Quite more so, you've heard it if you're a woman, but as a man also, it's in the Bible. It says, but the inner person of the heart, the lasting beauty of a gentle and tranquil spirit, which is precious in God's sight. So God really, that's who God is. It makes sense that God appreciates gentleness. But gent, not gentle like pet the puppy on the head gentle. It's just gentle like, that's my spirit. I'm meek. I'm lowly. <coughs> Your king is going to come in riding on a donkey. That's what it looks like. Wow. <clears throat> That's different. That's different than I'm, I think about when I think about what gentle looks like. You know, when you when you think about, okay, what's a gentle person look like? What do they look like? How do you tell a gentle person? Jack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well. Jack Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just very approachable. They're open to listening, you know, and they tend to lack that, that, that body posture that looks like they're stretching. Right. They accept you, right? Yeah. They're curious. Curious. Yeah. They're welcoming. Welcoming. Yeah. That's gentle. We act softly to, like, bad things, like in a bad situation, we react in a way that's not care about you, right? They care about you. It's, it's, for me, like, you know, I was joking about Janet, in spite of you, right? <clears throat> That's gentle. They think about that list of gentleness. Which one of those are on your list of things I want to become in 2024? Be more gentle. I want to be more meek. I want to be more lowly. <clears throat> I want to be more reliant on God. I want to learn that he's gentle with you. Now, if you think about even lowly, to be humble. So, uh, you know, James 4, 6, the same word, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And there, James is quoting Proverbs 3 and verse 4. So it's, it's a theme, not just, and we'll see this as we go through, it's not just the Testament. Oh, yeah, Jesus got humble, Jesus got holy. God was never that way before. No, no. It's a theme through the, the whole scripture. You know, it's, it's Say, oh, Lion is so humble. Peter is so humble. We go, hmm, that's a virtue. Now, this is more along the lines of, of destitute. More like you might say, you know, uh, they're in homelessness. You know, they they have nothing to rely on. They're a you know a displaced immigrant. They they you know tonight they won't know where they'll be able to sleep. That's what lowly really means. That means um, you know Mary when she about Jesus, she talks about being of humble estate. So again, being destitute, being without a place. You know, um, you know, Paul talks about in Romans about associating with the lowly, about being with them. And you know, to the point that Larry just brought it up is that they're accessible. You know, there's nothing really more accessible than someone who is destitute. Can help you absolutely. You know. 
I talk to you, absolutely, in general. And you think about Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus was the most approachable person in the history of the world. <clears throat> you know, the minimum bar to ex- accessing Jesus is just to open yourself up to him. <clears throat> just say, hey, here's who I am, here's where I'm at. You know, in, in this scripture, in Matthew 11, <clears throat> he's calling everyone who's burdened and heavy laden to come to him. So you, you come burdened and heavy laden. You don't have to be unburdened and unladen. He's not expecting you to dump all those things before you get there. In fact, he's expecting you to come burdened and heavy laden. That's the person that Jesus wants to see. He's not expecting perfection. He's expecting perhaps the opposite of perfection. Imperfection. You know, he even says it's, it, there's no payment required. He says, I will give you rest. Don't even have to pay for it. And you think about it, in gentle and low, I've heard some of these come up before. Tender, open, welcoming, I think he said. Accommodating, understanding, and willing. Now, if you have to say, had to say one thing about Jesus, that he was gentle and lowly in heart. But not for everybody. Now, if you were to scan up in, in Matthew 11, verse 21 and verse 24, he, he makes some pretty amazing other comments. If you're looking there, it says, you know, woe to you, Chorazon, woe to you, Bethsaida. <clears throat> you know, he calls down woes on people that aren't following him, that aren't with him. <clears throat> you know, so gentle, being gentle and lowly is not a sign of weakness. It's just a sign of, you know, for those who are his, <clears throat> that really is his heart for us. You know, we know elsewhere in the Bible, you know, in 1 Corinthians 15 and <clears throat> Philippians 2, it talks about there's toil and labor that goes along with the Christian life. So the, the promise in Matthew here is, <clears throat> is rest for your souls, not rest for your bodies. Wait a minute. Do we like that? <clears throat> Who here prays frequently, oh, fine, Jesus, I don't mind having my body torn apart, my, my schedule destroyed, my budget crucified, as long as you have rest for my soul. Anybody feeling that, saying that? You tend to think more, no, come on! I want rest for everything. I want the package, you know. I want the package with everything in it, not just rest for my soul. But you think about it, if you really have rest for your soul, if your your heart is at peace with God, then all the other things really begin not to matter. You know, uh, you know, uh, one of the, one of the early uh, church fathers, Tertullian, made a comment about. He says the leg does not feel the, the chain when the heart is in heaven. Paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel the burdens, and they they certainly had some pretty bad chains and torture and so on in those early first centuries. And, and their heart was, if my heart's with God, then I'm going to be okay. Does you think about this idea of a yoke? Has anybody ever yoked livestock, yoked oxen? Around it. Yeah. We use a tractor these days. Yeah, right. <laughs> like I'm sure you've seen some of the old West movies, perhaps, where they take the big bar and they they, they hook it over the top of the livestock to pull a plow. And if you think about a plow getting pulled, it's you know that's a lot of work. Right? That's not even a, typically it's barely a one horse thing, a couple horse thing. Um, it's it's heavy work. And 
you know, and you hear, you know, people will speak and say, well, you know, <clears throat> the, the, the yoke, it's, it's leveling up the effort, and so the, the hard worker pulls the light worker along and they even up, and it all sounds so wonderful. But at the end of the day, it's a yoke that's on their back, having them to drag a plow through unbroken ground. So it is, a yoke is in itself is not light. A yoke is heavy, and it, it's, it's burdensome. And yet Jesus sort of makes a place, says, well, my yoke is not a yoke, and my burden is not a, is not a burden. It's a yoke of kindness. Now, in, in the book, I like that great analogy. It says, you know, if someone is drowning, and you throw them a life preserver, and they go, man, it's so much work to put on this life preserver. You know, I don't know if I can really bear myself to get that life preserver on. Hmm. When in fact, you put the life preserver on, I've been in a lot of planes lately, watching them <laughs> close up, you know. Don't do that before you jump off the plane. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Although on British Airways, they said, don't wear your high heels when you go down the slide. Right. <laughs> so, don't forget, I, I can't imagine maybe putting your high heels on and running down the slide. <laughs> But just this idea of, you know, uh, you know, he says in the book, he says, what helium does to a balloon, Jesus does to his followers. He doesn't simply meet us in our place of need, but he lives in our place of need. So when you're there going, I don't know if Jesus can understand, Jesus understands. I don't know if Jesus can help. I have to do some more work to get there. I have to have to get this repenting done. I have to get all this thing done. And then Jesus is going to accept me. No, no, no. Jesus is right there. <clears throat> Jesus is right there trying to remind you that he's meek, that he's lowly, that he's gentle. <clears throat> that he really wants you to, uh, to pull out. And you, you can imagine, we build these mental models of things, right? Like, so, so the wealthier you are, the more money you have, the more, well, we won't say it to us, we'll wait some imaginary person. The more wealthy someone is, the less likely they are, the more likely they are to look down on someone in poverty. And so we know that the richer someone is, the more likely they are to say, I, I can't relate to that, I have no idea what's going on there. I'm so different than that poor, destitute person. Or, or maybe, maybe you relate more to this, the more beautiful I am, the more handsome I am, the more we imagine that they're put off by someone who's not handsome, or someone, someone who's ugly. But there's really this, oh yeah, you know, that famous, wealthy, handsome, beautiful person is never going to want to be around this poor, destitute, <coughs> ugly, homely person. You get this, and we, we start to then say, okay, well, the one who is most exalted, Who's the most exalted? God. The most exalted person. I mean, let's think about that for a sec. Here's some of the wording that's used about God. Every knee will bow in the presence of God. Every knee. No one will be able to approach God on their own merits. <clears throat> Revelation says he has eyes like flames of fire. That's the person whose heart is gentle and lowly. That's God. But we see Christ coming after us, mad and upset. He feel like he's going to say, Satan, get behind me. <laughs> see, our intuition about God, our feeling about God, sometimes is wrong. 
the way we talked about early on, and we can have a feeling about something and be totally off base. That's why we need to read the Bible, for one. We need to go back to the scriptures and be reminded <clears throat> about what God is really like. You know, ultimately, sometimes our heart, our heart of hearts, our intuition, our feelings uh, just proves we don't know what we're talking about. We don't understand God. And that's really, that is why Jesus came to give us perspective on God, that he's gentle and lowly in heart. And that's really the message we're going to continue on as we, as we dive in further into the book. I want to spend a little bit just talking about that heart in action now. What does that heart do? What does his heart do? It says that in Matthew 14, he says, uh, it talks about Jesus, and he had compassion on them. When Jesus saw someone in need, he had compassion. Think about it. <clears throat> he sees a leper in Matthew, in Matthew 8. And the leper says, if, you'll, if you will make me clean, what's Jesus say? No. He says, I will be clean. You know, it, it, the word will here is desire. It says, the leper says, if you desire for me to be healed, and Jesus says, I desire. Not go do this, go do that. Oh yeah, no, I'm down. I'm down for you being healed. Jesus is down for you being healed. It's crazy, huh? Paralytic. So they, Matthew 9, they bring a paralytic to him. That's a good group of friends because, you know, the paralytic aren't going anywhere. And uh, they get to Jesus. Jesus doesn't even ask what's going on. He just says, take heart. Your, your sins are forgiven. Do we really see God as that God? We just approach God and goes, good, you're healed. That's what we had in mind all along. You know, he heals the sick in Matthew 14. He feeds the hungry. You know, twice in the Bible, Jesus weeps. Once for Jerusalem, Luke 19. Once for Lazarus in John 11. He wants his deepest anguish is with your deepest anguish. When you're sad, he's sad. You know, over and over again, Jesus comes up to those who are reviled, who are those who are, uh, in our words, morally disgusting, those who are inexcusable and undeserving, and they just don't deserve Jesus' mercy. That's who he calls friends. He's a friend of sinners. But Jesus didn't change. Hebrews 13 says he's saved now and forever, right? Jesus, this is the same Jesus who wept over Jerusalem, who wept over Lazarus, who weeps over us, who feels our despair. You know, the friend of lepers is with us when we feel misunderstood, when we feel sidelined. You know, the Jesus who cleaned up messy sinners, who cleansed them, reaches into us and wants to answer our prayer, wants to heal us, wants to help us. You know, we'll talk more as we go through about how Jesus works through the Holy Spirit. But in, in 1 Corinthians 6, it says that he's united with us now. His Spirit is with us now. He's here now for you to draw. And that's really my prayer, my goal for us, is as we go through the next period of time and really focus on this, that we spend the time to really reflect on what is God's heart for me? And how is that going to change me? Matthew 11 from the message, I love this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me 
work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. Father, it's uh, just great to be together here to reflect on how much you love us. It's, it's just beyond understanding. We're grateful that you gave us the example of Jesus, to what it is like to live like you, to be humble and gentle and lowly of spirit. And I pray that we can really connect with that, your heart, in our lives, Father, and really learn how to let you take over, how you to encourage us, enable us, Father, but most of all, help us to have a clear understanding of your heart for us so that we can live lives that will really glorify you and show our love for you. We love you. Any comments, thoughts, you guys thought about